0: Some days you just can't win. We can't win. They were on the Sea of Tiberias, and um, oftentimes the, the storms would, you know, rise up. And the, this this the sea that they were on isn't was not as big as Lake Superior, but it was um, eight miles across. And 12 miles long. And so you had this, uh, you know, think think of eight miles out and across as a a kind of a a large lake. And Jesus grew up very near to this lake. Um, And here we go, we're back online. And um, we remember that uh, as as we've been talking about Jesus and following him in these past many weeks, uh, we're getting oriented to to him, who he was. And I've been talking about how important it is to to know him and his first century world. Uh, we've seen him ride into Jerusalem on a donkey at Passover time. And then we went back and read about the boy Jesus in Nazareth. The boy Jesus in love with the Jewish festivals, in love with the Passover. Um, he, his God, he loves his God. He loves the Jewish scriptures. Uh, we've seen him amaze wise scholars at the age of 12, um, and, uh, and then come back and infuriate his own townspeople in Nazareth is that they're so angry at him because he was reading so deeply into these scriptures that he came to give his kind of public announcement of a campaign he was about to run. And here's the platform he launched his campaign on. I'm going to heal the world by... Healing the oppressors as well as the oppressed. And the people in Nazareth, being the oppressed of that relationship, were so angry that Jesus would even think and imagine like that. They were, they were remembering the horrors of what the, the Greek and the Roman world did to their, their people. And Jesus says, I'm going to heal them too. And uh, People were infuriated by that. We've seen him riding into Israel as his as the Israel's king, coming to set up a new kingdom, and in a way that disturbed them and disturbs us. And I and I've I've made the claim so far that if we're really going to understand Jesus, if we're really going to take in the real guy who lived way back way back when, that we're going to be a bit disturbed. He was disturbing then and disturbs us now. And the the disturbing part of Jesus is that he comes as king. And not just a king to come and and be like a religious leader, but someone who says to us, all the dreams that you have, all the hopes, all the things that you're investing your life in, I'm asking you to put them in a suitcase, close them up, set them aside, take my dreams for you, my dreams for the world, and devote your whole life to them. And that... That's disturbing if we really listen to that. So who is Jesus? We're talking about him, and a lot has happened uh, in his life when we get to the story today. A lot has happened by the time that he uh, leaves Nazareth, goes about to um, do his first bit of ministry, uh, and um, he's attracted a lot of people. A lot of people are attracted by him and about what he's saying. He's, he's amassed a huge following probably in the hundreds in, in a very early, quick time. And then he chooses 12 of those people who came to follow him as his close friends and disciples to, to, to train up and to, to take over when he's gone. So uh, he, a lot's happened since we've, we've met him last, and, and new characters are coming onto the scene like Peter and Mary Magdalene and, and many others. Uh, And were interested, just as they are, who is this Jesus? They didn't know. They were amazed by him, but there was this big puzzle about this guy. They couldn't quite pin him down. We don't quite understand it, but we know that being with him makes the most sense of our life that it ever has. And so they begin to follow him. I I like one of the uh, authors says it like this. Jesus is a man in the eye of the storm. The storm of history and culture of politics and piety, a man who seemed to be asleep in the middle of it all, but then who stood up and told the wind and the waves to stop. And we ask ourselves, what kind, what kind of storm historically was Jesus in? He was in a lot of literal storms in his life, but what, what, was, the, what was the metaphorical political storm? And we're going to talk about that a little, to, a little today because for him to come and announce his kingship the way he did would be a little like this. Guys, I've got some news for you, and it's big news. Something that's going to change my life and rock my, every, change everything about what I'm, what I'm doing, and it's going to affect you deeply, too, and here's what it is. As of today, as of right now, I am announcing that I am now Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> there are no elections. There was no elections, none of that. I've just now become Prime Minister, and I want you all to follow me like that. I want you to, all your tax money, stop paying it to Thunder Bay, stop paying it to Ontario, stop paying it to Canada, all that comes to me. And uh, we're going to go around, all of us, I'm going to send you out, uh, this group of people you're going to Winnipeg, this group of people you're going to go down to Southern Ontario, and this group of people you're going down to Minneapolis. And you're going to tell them that not only am I Prime Minister of Canada, but I am King of the World. Okay, that's what Jesus was doing in a world where there was already a king and there was already a, a, an emperor and a great world power. That's what his message was, okay? And so this is how, how big this is and how pe- some people must have thought he was loony, right? I mean, if someone came and did that today, we'd like, if, and they were serious, we'd, we'd say, step next door, please. <laughs> Go to the police station. Um so, all that to say, uh, Jesus is stepping into a storm. If I, if I were to really do that, and we were to really believe that and go about that, we would be stepping into a massive political storm. I mean, do you think the, the city council here would have something to say about it, let alone if, if, if this thing pick up steam? And imagine if I started gathering like hundreds and hundreds of, hundreds of fo- thousands of followers. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what he's going around to announce. Uh, I am king, Caesar is not So uh, here we are. I just wanted to give us a little bit of a map here of of his early ministry because this is where we're going to dwell for the next many weeks. Here's Galilee, Lower Galilee and Upper Galilee. North kind of runs like this. This is is a bit of an angle. North is this way. So here's Nazareth where he grew up. And If you look closely, there's a large plain here and it comes up to a mountainous region. And right about here is where his townspeople tried to throw him off the cliff to kill him. Sepphoris... It was the kind of the capital of Galilee. Cana, you might re- uh, remember where he went and turned water to wine early in his life. Mount Tabor here is the likely place, the traditional place for the transfiguration. You know, uh, you could, and, and, and this is, I mean, it's not a huge area. If you, I've been here, uh, you could see Mount Tabor really clearly from Nazareth. You could almost see the Sea of Galilee from Nazareth. Um, here's Tiberias which will come into play today. Here's Magdala, where, you know, Mary Magdalene, she was from here. Here's Gennesaret, and here's Capernaum, where Jesus, we're told once he grows up and leaves home, this is where he sets up his home base and meets Peter. And, uh, um, yeah, that's, that, that'll be good to get to know here. Now, here's the Sea of Galilee, this, this sea here. And it could be, because, you know, it's quite big, and uh, it can pick up some steam once, if there's a storm, um, but he Jesus would, in his early ministry, is just walking around this sea here, picking up followers, doing miracles in Capernaum and in Cana, and the word is spreading, and his followers are spreading. so here we are in Galilee um, Jesus has uh, has done his nazareth uh, manifesto he's he's announced himself as king of the world uh, he's He's teaching things. He's teaching his followers profound things, things that they say, they testify to. It's almost as if he finally has authority. Someone is finally speaking to our hearts, and it's making sense of our life. All of his teachings, you, you might have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. He gives this great sermon right up here on a on little hillside, uh, on, and there's a, there's a church there today where that, that honors that. And not only he's giving profound teachings, but he's going around healing people. I mean, people who have been blind from birth can see. People who ha- have leprosy and have been cast out are no longer sick. Um, people, who, um, uh, people who had demons, you know, this is people who uh, had demons possessing them, and they were out of their mind. Jesus coming in and calming their mind, casting out the demons, and the demons screaming, we know who you are, son of God. And, and, and Jesus is like, zip it. <laughs> You know, no one's supposed to know that yet. And so this is what he's doing. This is the, the context in which we find ourselves. And it's so uh, we find ourselves you know, in Matthew 8, uh, in, in Capernaum, in Peter's house, in or Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house. And that evening they brought, the, he, he, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And that evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word, just a word, out. And they, they went out and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And Matthew, Matthew who's writing this gospel, who's saying, uh, from many decades later, looking back, saying, now that we understand who Jesus is, we know that all of those healings and all of those uh, uh, exorcisms were about something more than him just having some certain power. It was about a prophecy from old, There's a a, a prophecy from old. Someone will come and will take our infirmities upon him and we will be healed. And so, uh, this is what's happening when we get to this storm. Um, He he is in Capernaum. He gives this teaching, and people say to him, People are saying to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, there are people that are so devoted to Jesus at this point that they're saying, Say anything do anything. Ask me to do anything. I'll do it. I'm your devoted father. I will, I will go to the ends of the earth for you, Jesus. And what's interesting is when people say that to Jesus, his usual response is um, something like, I don't really believe that. <laughs> something like that. Uh, I'll, I, I will go to the cross with you, says, uh, says Peter. And Jesus says, actually, you won't. So, um, Jesus, I don't know, this, is just, this disturbs us. You think Jesus is a nice guy. He's not going to ruffle any feathers. If we give our devotion life to him, he's just going to, like, be so happy about it. And he is. But, but there's something else that comes with it. He's not just, he's not just interested in us giving our life to him. He's interested in freeing us and making us whole and, and drawing us into, deeper into fellowship with him. And so he'll say things like, teacher, people say, teacher, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And he'll say, foxes have holes. And birds have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, which is to say, I'm choosing to give up all of my prosperity, all of my comfort, all of my personal, um, personal preferences in order to show you what it's like to live a life of uh, complete abandon to God. And you should too. Give up all of your possessions, says Jesus. And people um, can't do that. And one, one guy says, okay, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but my dad just died. Let me go bury him. Let me go to the funeral. And when you know what Jesus says, here's what I would say. Okay, go ahead. We'll, we'll wait. Um, go, go and grieve your loss. But Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, this is disturbing stuff. Why would you say that, Jesus? It's, it's like throwing sand in our faces. But this is what we get. This is the story. This is what he's about, and there's some deeper mystery here going on. He's, he's doing something that's far bigger than any of these people could have ever imagined. And so after this, after all this happens, he got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. I don't know, this is, this is a good uh, picture of, this is the Sea of Galilee here, and the type of boat that uh, we had Jesus plus 12 and as they as they went out, and he's going to go across the, the the place to a wilderness area, and he's going to find a man who's who's really possessed with lots of demons, and he's going to go uh, cast them out. And so on their way, Jesus uh, falls asleep. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was taking a nap. <laughs> Can you see this? It's kind of dark. It's this really interesting piece of art that, that um, Jesus is here sleeping. His disciples are about to, to be capsized and they're trying to, to wake him up. They know his power, but here he is asleep. And I ask ourselves, you know, what's going on with this sleeping man here? Like, what, what could possibly have, have um, tired him out so much? What could possibly be going through his mind for him to be sleeping in this great storm while everyone else? Was asleep, And I think that part of it, he's probably fatigued. Jesus is already just fatigued at all that he's already done. Uh, he's been rejected by his people. He's gone out, and he's, he's, he's tired. Uh, but I think he's also, um, he knows what kind of storm he's in. This is a storm, a, a raging storm, but he knows the bigger storm. He knows the political storm. He knows the implications about what's going to happen to him if he goes out keeping preaching himself as king. Here's the storm. I told you that the, uh, the city called Tiberias on the, the shores of uh, the Lake of Galilee. Tiberias was built in Jesus' lifetime. It was a new city built on top of a little village, and, and it was built by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, um, and Herod Antipas was also the one who beheads his cousin John and who ends up playing a crucial role in Jesus's own sentence and crucifixion, so Herod Antipas was living in in a castle or whatever, or a big big mansion by the by the side of uh, the Lake of Galilee, and um, and he he built up Tiberius to sort of this this is my area, this is my land, I've been giving it, I'm the ruler here, uh, and Jesus will come up against him. So Jesus knows about Tiber uh, about. Uh, Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas names Tiberius after the great Caesar Tiberius, uh, the great king who's on the throne in, in Rome. And so here, here you have a Jewish king who has given his homage to the Roman king, and Jesus coming into this storm. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that it's going to get serious, and I think he's just exhausted by that. You know, we, we have, here's a picture of Tiberius, an old when color pictures were just getting taken i don 't know the <laughs> uh, way 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 back in, in the hundred years ago maybe of the old city of tiberius and, and and so when Jesus is going around on the other side of this lake he 's looking across and he 's teaching his his let's let 's imagine this is the ser- where he gives a sermon on the mount up here he 's looking across for anywhere you are in this great lake you can see Tiberius you can see uh, it's not like he was just out in a bunch of bunch of villages. Like the rulers of the place were, were making themselves visible, and so he's he's not just thinking about Herod Antipas here and and Herod's land. He's thinking about Rome. Here's Rome in the ancient world. I mean, talk about a city. Ancient Rome was massive. It was glorious. It was filled with all sorts of architecture and civilization, so to speak. And uh, it was Rome who had the great power grip over. The place Jesus lived. Jesus lived in a very crucial place because uh, Rome needed Israel. Uh, for it, it was an important trade route to get to all the grain, all the grain down um, uh, in the area. They, they needed Israel for, for this. So Israel was crucial. They weren't going to let ever let Israel go. Israel was part of their vice grip. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that he's walking into this great storm of power and politics. And here we have Augustus. uh, Tiberius is, I forget exactly, his stepfather. I forget exactly how it is. But uh, Augustus, the son of Julius Caesar. You remember Julius Caesar, who takes the the Roman Republic and makes it an empire. And he, he goes about... Uh, proclaiming himself not only the ruler of the known world, but also a son of a god. He was divine. He was, something was divine about him. You get this Divus Filius here. That's the, the Roman for uh, the son of God. Augustus, the son of God. So if Augustus was the son of God, and Tiberius was the, the next in line. Tiberius is also a son of God. And these emperors begin um, thinking of themselves as divine in some way. And they go around and people are going around to announce, uh, worship and follow Augustus and Tiberius. But Jesus comes into the midst of it, right? And he says, they're not king, I'm king. They're not a son of God, I am the true son of God. Jesus knows how charged this environment is and he's sleeping through this storm and you you kind of wonder Jesus what's going through your head and it must have been something about all of the implications how how risky it was going to be to keep doing what he was called to do but then you ask yourselves what's going through these guys' mind (laughs) right what's happening in the in their mind as they as they're on the boat and what I think they're thinking of is Jesus is pronouncing himself as king which means this way back, all the way from our ancestors. I mean, these are Jewish men. Uh, ancestors Abraham and Moses and David and all the great kings that have come before us. Uh, they're going, Jesus is the fulfillment of this, of this great dream that someday we'll finally be free from the Roman oppression. And they're, they're asking themselves, um, why in the world would this guy be sleeping If um, he's the next king, we're just going to die in this storm. And then what happens next just rattles them to their core. They woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Lord, they call him. Lord, save us. We are perishing. And then it's almost as if they're, they're remembering the great psalm, Psalm 44. These guys would have sung these psalms and memorized these psalms and loved these psalms. And here's what Psalm 44 says. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. Wake yourself up. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And this ancient Jewish prayer was probably filling their hearts. Wake up. Wake up, Jesus. We're about to save us. Um, and it's much deeper than just save us from this, this boat. It's save us from all of our afflictions. And I'm, just, I'm so convinced uh, as we look deeply back into the story that we can, we can resonate so well with what must they must have been feeling. I mean, how many of us feel like God's asleep in our life? How many of us have situations or things that we're struggling with or people that we're struggling with or, 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 or work situations or a dream that we've had that's not quite coming true, that we've always wanted to come true, which is not there? How many of us feel like God is asleep at the wheel? This is what's happening here. And this is the great prayer of the Psalms. Wake up, God. Hear, our, hear us. Hear our prayers. And, and this is echoed, echoed throughout this, this event. And Jesus said to them, he wakes up and says, what are you guys afraid of? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, that was his response to them. What are you afraid of? You of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Now I think this is, for me, this is where these moments in Jesus' life, I start to slip a little bit. And what I mean by that is to say, I can understand a Jesus who gets up and speaks some bold truth to the powers that be. But I no longer can relate to a guy who can stand up and go, and a storm gets subsided. And you know what? They couldn't couldn't relate either. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And I'm just challenging us to say, what we're doing this year is to try to take a year to understand Jesus. Who is he? What is he about? Why is he our Lord? Let's be a little bit put at peace to recognize that they were just as puzzled as we sometimes are. We come to Jesus and we expect him to give us a warm hug and make us feel safe. But he says, I'm going to take you places and fulfill your dreams in ways that you can't even imagine, ways that not just heal you, but heal the people who've hurt you. And we ask ourselves sometimes when he does that to us, when we're asking, God, why are you asleep? And then just wakes up sometimes and says, you have little faith. Sometimes, sometimes that disturbs us. But this is what this is about. This is about our lives being built up and reframed in something way bigger than we could ever make them. What kind of man is this? So it's okay, as we go forward, to be a bit puzzled by Jesus. They were too. And we ask ourselves, what kind of man is this? But you know what? These were great Jewish people, so the scriptures were resonating in their ears. And they must have thought about this as they see him stand up and calm these waves, as they pray like a, like a psalmist prayed to the living God and they asked him to get up and save them, as they see the sea immediately go calm and the winds and waves die down. They must have been thinking about Job. Job 38. Remember the story of Job, a man whose life was ruined by, by, by Satan. His children were taken away. His bodily health was taken away. And he he gets to a place where he's pointing his finger at God, saying, God, why would you do this to me? I feel like I'm just target practice. And God shows up. And remember, when God shows up, God shows up out of the whirlwind. And he answers Job, Who shut in the sea with doors, God eventually says. When it bursts out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors and said, This far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stopped. They know they know the one person in all of the universe that can stop waves. These, these Jews knew. And so when Jesus did, does this, I believe when he, when he comes and calms the storm and st- stops the sea from its rollers, I believe that they begin, some, something sparks in them. And they began going, this is different than we expected. Something new is happening here. Who is this man? We know who does this. I think it takes them a while to work it out and work it all out. It doesn't come to them immediately. But the experiences like this shake them to the foundation of their worldview. And they, they realize that Jesus, even though we can relate with him, and even though they, his followers said, to be with Jesus... Yeah, it was scary a lot of times and it bothered us a lot of times, but you know what? It was the type of being bothered that made us feel like our lives finally made sense. Everything else was just confusion and chaos. But to be with him, to be with him is worth more than gold, they, they said. And so um, we ourselves come to this man, you know, asking, asking questions like, what powers in our life... Roman, Greek, political, relational, what kind of powers in our life tend to want to control us? How have they affected you? How might your life be different if you let Jesus come in and take charge of your life? If he can do that to a storm, and if he can stand up to the Roman authorities, He can take your life, anything that's trying to control you, and stand up against it for your freedom. There's nothing too big and powerful for him to come and be your Lord and to protect you. Uh, We ask ourselves, where do we need courage? Where do we need someone with deep courage to come into our life and make us whole? What is that for you? Where do you need courage? Where, where do you need someone that, that can come in and help you be courageous, as courageous as him? We all need courage in this life. And what is it, what is it that we need faith for? We all, we all come to the end of our limit, limitations, our abilities. Sometimes we need confidence that someone bigger than us can take our life and make sense of it, to calm our storms, to, to take our life in the storms and to say, be at peace. This is the message for Jesus for us today as we come to continue to get to know him. And perhaps, I don't know, I just thought we'd maybe end with this psalm together. We have this table set before us. We have this bread and this juice, and Jesus tells us to come and to dip the bread into um, into the juice and to remember him. Because we can so easily forget, can't we? We can go about the storms of our life thinking, The water is going to capsize us. We're going to drown. It's too big. It's too massive. And we can forget that there's someone far more powerful than we can ever imagine, ready to take our life and to calm our storms. What is that for you? We come to the table with that question. Um, And perhaps maybe this is your prayer today. And Maybe we'll just, before I invite us to the table, we'll just pray this together out loud. I'm not sure what the prayer of your heart is today, but if it's anything like, God, why are you asleep in my life? This is a prayer for you. So let's pray it. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. Wake yourself up. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Whatever prayer is in your heart today, I would invite you forward to come to the table, to bring it to the maker of the universe. And The table is, is set, and everyone here is welcome.